Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at numerous passages in the New Testament today, but we're going to start there in just a moment. We are in the ongoing study of the disciples' journey. This journey is what we're describing as the process that our church is entering into to be a disciple-making church. Last week, we've focused on this first of these lessons on connecting. Remember, we saw in our mission statement, the first part of that mission statement is to love God. We want to lead people into a love relationship with with God through Jesus Christ. We looked at those lessons on assurance. We've taught those here on Sunday morning, what it means to know that you're saved and to know that you're forgiven, to know that God hears your prayer. Then we moved into the second phase of our mission statement, which is connect with others. That's taken from the great commandment, which says, love the Lord and love your neighbor. So we're taking that as our, our mission statement and our process. We're in the middle right there. We're going to move on late next to reach our world. But right now we're talking about connecting. So this is our second of our lessons on connecting. What we want to talk about is expectations of church membership. Expectations of church membership. Many people join a church like they join the country club. What are going to be the, the, the dues? What's my initial fee? And what's going to be required of me? And then, what are the benefits? What do I get out of this money that I put into this country club? How's my family going to benefit? Believe it or not, a lot of people join a church that way. They join thinking, okay, this is going to be all about what I can get out of it. But we want to set the record straight. That's not the way you join a church. We believe that there are expectations, biblical expectations, that every, church, that every church should have of their membership. So that's what we're going to look at today. This outline is uh, based on Tom Rainer's book, I Am a Church Member. If you want to pick that up, it's a great book. I've kind of tweaked it a little bit and, and uh, Kevinized it, I guess, would be the best way to say it. Kelly says, do you have to tweak everything? I say, yes, I have to tweak everything. So uh, it wasn't good enough to take a bestseller book. I had to change the outline. But that's what I did. Try to make it my own. Here are the expectations we have of church members. First of all, we want them to actively participate. So number one, first expectation that we have of church members is that you actively participate. That doesn't mean you just show up and sit. You know, you sit still while I instill. You know how that works? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being involved in the life of this church. So when you come to Coastal Oaks Church, it is an expectation that you're just not here to show up. We talked about that last week. We want you to grow up. Actively participate. Well, the first part of that, three statements about participation. First of all, we want you to understand that you're an indispensable part of the body of Christ. You are an indispensable part of the body of Christ. In other words, essential, necessary. We can't do without you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. I better get in the right chapter. Chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Now let me just stop right there and let you know what I'm paraphrasing is you 
Church members are the body of Christ. You are indispensable, essential individual members of this body. You need to be here and this body needs you to be a part of this body, indispensable. Recently I bought a new desk for my, um, my office here at the church and I found a good deal online and they could ship it, very limited shipping and I got it and I'm so excited about this new desk and it came in a box about that wide and about like this and I thought, Maybe you got one of those little bitty desks, but I opened it up, and some engineer worked real hard to pack that desk in that box. All the pieces, surely they're not all there, they're all there. I laid them out in my office. I had nothing but pieces everywhere, little piles of bolts and screws and pins and, and locks and keys and dowels, and I had it all laid out there, and I started to put that thing together, and I thought, first of all, I'm gonna try it without the instructions, didn't work, so I stopped very quickly and went back to the instructions and started putting that thing together. And You know, you get those packages and you think maybe they give you a couple of extra screws because you might lose one or a couple of extra dowels. This package had only what was needed. Every single screw was essential to put that, that desk together. And I thought, what if somebody like me loses a part of it? Every part in that box was needed. I thought that's the way the church is. You are indispensable. We, we cannot be the body of Christ. Coastal Oaks will never be what God intends it to be until you recognize you're an essential part of this body. Second thing, letter B. Active participation means that we're going to accept our differences. Accept our differences. Still in chapter 12, look at verse 26. The Bible says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. In other words... You're a part of the body. You're different than the other person. That person's going to go through some, some stuff. You're going to need to be there with them. They may be honored. They may suffer. You suffer or you're honored with them. See, our, our differences mean that we have to work together to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to build one another up. Just look around you at how different we are. I get to see from up here. I have a different perspective. I get to look in your faces every week. We are different. There's, there, there is not a, a, a carbon copy in here except maybe me and my son. We're pretty close. But look around you. We are different. God, God wants us to celebrate the differences. He wants us to say, I'm glad God made you the way he made you. And I'm going to rejoice that in that. And I'm going to rejoice in the way God made me. And we're going to celebrate those differences. And we're going to work together. Because why? We're essential. Skip down to chapter 13 there and still in 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. It does not act improperly. It is not selfish. It's not provoked. It does no rec- keeps no record of wrongs. Let me just apply that verse to church membership. An actively participating, indispensable part of the body is going to be patient, is going to be kind. I'm not going to envy. I'm not going to be boastful. I won't be conceited. I'm not going to act improperly. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to be provoked. I'm not going to keep a record of wrong. I'm going to celebrate the differences of this body. Third thing, as we think about active participation, we expect you to contribute regularly, generously, and cheerfully. Now, that's not Pastor Kevin talking. That's the Word of God. Look at chapter 16 in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 16, verse 2. 
Paul writing about the church at Corinth, a local church just like this church in Rockport. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers so that no collections will need to be made when I come. On the first day of the week, that's when we worship. Here's this New Testament mandate. That's when you get your money together, your income together, and you give back to God as he's blessed you. One of the key principles of stewardship is that God is the owner, and I'm just a steward. By coming every week and making that check out to the church or however you give, if you give uh, through an automatic draft or you bring cash, you write a check and you put it in those offering boxes, you're saying, God, I'm acknowledging it. You own it all, and I'm just giving a portion back to you. Don't get the wrong impression that when you give, say, 10% to the Lord, that's his and the 90% belongs to you. That's wrong. The Bible says God owns everything. The psalmist wrote that. God is, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all those who live in it. God owns it all. My giving is just to acknowledge that. And look at chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians now. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the very next book in the Bible. Verse 6. Paul writing again about giving. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. Each person should not do as he has decided in his heart, sorry, should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now that doesn't mean I just say, okay, I wonder if if God wants me to give anything. We know he does. Scripture says it's mandated. That 10% is the bare minimum that we give back to God. But it's to be given in a hard attitude that says, God, I'm glad I get to do this. We say it all the time around here. We, We don't give because we have to. We give because we get to. I tell you what, if we had to close these doors and send the staff packing and say we can't buy any more literature, there's no people here, let's close the doors and turn off the lights and lock this place up, that'd be a shame. You'd say, man, I wish I had the opportunity to give. I wish that church was still there. I wish I got to give. Happens every day in our, in our nation. Churches are closing their doors, and I'm sure those members would say, man, I wish I had the opportunity to give. Contribute regularly, generously, and cheerfully. If you're at the 830 service, you heard me try to tell a story about Sam Houston getting saved. I, I, I messed it up. It was confusing to me even as I told it. You ever do that? Get in the middle of thing and, and, and think, I wonder, what, was, what did I say? So here's the bottom line. Lyndon Johnson, President Lyndon Johnson's great-grandfather led Sam Houston to Christ. That's, the, that's it all in a nutshell, okay? I should have done that at 8.30. But here's the story about Sam Houston coming to Christ. They said he was coarse, he was arrogant, he was rude, he was a mean rascal until he came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And the people who were around him saw a transformed life. They tell the story about when he was baptized. He said, I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to pay the minister's salary for the rest of the year. Somebody asked him why. He said, because my pocketbook got baptized with me. Now, we know that's not the way it works, but you know what he was trying to express as a brand new Christian? When God got me, he got all my stuff. He got it all. I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't learned the joy of giving, and I like the way it's worded here. I borrowed Tom Rainer's wording, at least there, regularly, generously, cheerfully. Ask God to change your heart. That's, the biggest, that's one of the biggest indicators 
for me, when I'm really in right relationship with the Lord, how giving am I? Or how clingy am I? So, actively participate. I'm an indispensable part, of, indispensable part of the body. I'm essential. I'm necessary. I need to accept our differences and celebrate that. And I need to be a regular financial contributor to the life and ministry of this church. Second, expectation of church members. Unify. We want you to be a unifying member of this church. Unifying. Not just participating, but unifying. Four things about that. Letter A, avoid gossip. Avoid gossip. Proverbs 26, 20 says, without, food, without wood, the fire goes out. Without a gossip, the conflict dies down. Conflict is a part of life. Conflict is, is a part of church life. And when the conflict is inappropriate, you know the best way to shut it down? The Bible says here, quit talking about it. Quit saying, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? By the way, do you know one quick way to stop gossip? Is if the listeners quit listening to the gossipers. If they have news to tell you, have you heard the latest? If you don't want to hear it, what are they going to do? Stop listening. Without wood, the fire goes out. Without a gossip, the conflict dies down. Avoid gossip. We have a policy in our grace groups. What's said in grace group stays in grace group. And we want it to be that way. And some people share openly about stuff that's going on in their life, and it stays in that group. And we encourage our group leaders to nip it in the bud if it becomes just talking yan, yan, yan about somebody to say we're not here to do that. Sometimes we say, okay, the Bible says confess your sins to one another. It doesn't say confess the other person's sins to everybody else, does it? One time I said, okay, let's not talk about them. Do you have any sins you would like to confess to the group? Well, I'd rather confess my wife's sins to the group. Let's talk about your own. Avoid gossip. There's a TV show called Mythbusters. They do all kinds of crazy things in there. They, one of their uh, deals was to try to shoot a cannon, cannonball, like a, a, a cantaloupe-sized cannonball through, I think, a barrel of water. I'm not sure what something with, with, that it was contained to try to see how it would impact it. And they missed I'm going to read the newspaper report, all right? The cantaloupe-sized cannonball missed the water, tore through a cinder block wall, skipped off a hillside, and flew some 700 yards to the east. The cannonball bounced in front of a home on a quiet street, ripped through the front door, raced up the stairs, blasted through a bedroom, exited the house, leaving a perfectly round hole in the stucco, crossed six-lane Tassajara Road, took out several tiles from the roof of a home on Bellevue Circle, and finally slammed into a family's base Toyota minivan in the driveway on Springdale Drive. Folks, our stray words have the same ability to tear up a community like a stray cannonball. You may not be there to see all of the havoc that it wreaks, but let me tell you, it wreaks havoc. We want to avoid gossip. Letter B, this goes with it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Avoid negative talk. Avoid negative talk. 
I'm going to give you a, a verse you need to memorize. Ephesians 4.29. If you have a problem with this, if you have a problem with saying negative things, let no foul language or no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Let no unwholesome talk, this translation, foul language, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds up and edifies. I tell you what, that great theologian, Thumper, said it best. Remember Thumper in, the, in Bambi? If you can't say something nice about someone, don't say nothing at all. You ever say, maybe I shouldn't say this, but then don't say it. Listen, this is probably not going to do any good. You're probably not like, then don't say it. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what builds up, what edifies, what gives grace. Let your speech be with grace, Paul wrote, seasoned with salt. Avoid negative talk. That should be a no-brainer. Negative talk has a way of just ruining the Spirit of God in a congregation. Duke Hospital, one of Duke University hospitals in Durham, North Carolina, had some maintenance workers come in. This is back in 2004. I'm glad I wasn't there. They drained all the hydraulic fluid out of the elevator mechanisms and stored it in some empty detergent barrels and forgot to haul it away. And those barrels were labeled to be used to sterilize and clean surgical instruments. Yeah. And they sat there for a while and ended up being used for that. Two months and 3,800 surgeries went by before they realized they were washing the tools in hydraulic fluid and not detergent. Anybody have surgery back then in North Carolina? That's what unwholesome words have a way of doing. They might sound like they're coming out of a real clean, spiritual, godly Christian, but when they don't build up and edify, it's devastating. Avoid gossip, avoid negative talk. Now let's talk about some positive things here. Practice love and unity. Jesus said this, by this will men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Practice love, practice unity. See, membership, church membership means we're gonna, we're gonna so act that love permeates everything we do. It becomes the foundation for what we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we love to read it at weddings, but apply it to the life of the church. Just, just ask yourself, what, how would love respond in this situation? I don't like what they said. I don't like what they did. How would love respond? Paul wrote in Colossians 3, put on love above all. It is the perfect bond of unity. Membership says that there's going to be unity and it's going to be based on love. There's a tunnel that goes under the English Channel. It's called the Chunnel. Isn't that great? Get it? What they did was they started digging from the English side, one group of British, and a group of engineers on the French side, French, started digging this tunnel to come together and merge the two so you could pass through there. The English, the British, 
had all their manuals and instructions written in English with all their units of measure and all of their wattages to their generators and voltage and everything was their standard. The French had their standard and it was in French and it was different than the British and, and their manuals were in that language and then they finally got manuals in both languages and it was a mess. It was a disaster. It's a miracle that ever got finished. And they, they said one of the biggest problems is that the engineers in Great Britain said, we're right. And the engineers in France said, we're right. And they were both right, but they had a different standard. Folks, we get that way sometime in the body of Christ. You can have two parties that are right, but you're shooting it from a different, your different perspective. It doesn't work, and there's lack of unity. Membership means that we're going to be responding and acting in love. Our, what's our standard? The Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And lastly, the last thing we can do to unify this expectation of church membership is to practice forgiveness. Practice forgiveness. Jesus said, if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Well, I'm going to go to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Listen to verse 13. Accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against the other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. How am I to forgive? The way the Lord forgave me. Listen to the choir this morning. Talk about being lost and then redeemed by the blood and having this relationship with God. Boy, what, a, what a celebration that, that God would take me as I was, a sinner in need of a Savior, and, and accept me by grace. God says the way you were accepted, Kevin, that's the way you need, to, you need to accept other people. The way you were forgiven, Kevin, that's the way you need to forgive others. See, when we don't forgive, we hold that over people's head and we become the judge and the jury. And we're not going to let it go until they repent the way we think is appropriate, until they grovel, until they do their penance, then maybe we'll forgive them. That's not biblical forgiveness. That's why relationships don't get restored is because you're waiting for for you're waiting to be justified. You're waiting for, for, for somebody to do what you think they need to do. Forgiveness says, I'm going to let it go. Just let it go. Why should I? Aren't you glad God said about your sin? If you trust Christ, we'll let it go. We'll forgive it. John Ortberg tells a story. He and his wife were invited to a special reception back in Azusa, California, Azusa uh, University, Azusa Pacific University. And his wife was speaking as the keynote speaker at commencement, and they were invited to this small gathering of about 50 people, and the president of the university was there, and he said, we have three students with us that are graduating this year, and all three of these students are giving uh, a portion of their life to go to the poorest of the poor in India. And so these three students were there thinking this is going to be one of those commissioning services where the school prays over them and says, God bless you. And but the president said, someone has made an anonymous donation to this school 
in your name, you three students, because they heard what you're going to do with your life. So he called the first student's name, and he said to him, you are forgiven your debt of $105,000 to this school. That student began to weep. Then the president turned to another student and said, you're forgiven your debt of $70,000. And then to the third student, you're forgiven a debt of $130,000. Those students had no idea that was coming. John Ortberg writes about it. He says, they were ambushed by God's grace. That's what forgiveness is. God says, I choose to forgive your debt. I don't know what number you could put on your sin debt. Do you? He says, I choose to forgive you in Christ. Now, you go and forgive others. Let's look at the third expectation of church membership. Be selfless. Be selfless. Tom Rainer says it this way, I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. Boy, what if we all had that attitude? My church is not going to be about me and my preferences and my desires. Two statements here. We embrace servanthood. As a congregation, one of the ways to be selfless is to embrace servanthood. Listen to John chapter 13. Jesus has his disciples in the upper room before the crucifixion, and he washes their feet. In verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined and again said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. We looked at, that, we looked at this recently. Jesus didn't say, okay, I've washed your feet, disciples, now you wash mine. They would have jumped on that. Oh yeah, we'll wash our master's feet. He said, I've washed your feet, now you go wash one another's feet. You take this chore that was delegated to the lowest of the low on the totem pole in the family structure, that foot washing, and Jesus said, I'll take that on because I want to show what serving means. We're to embrace servanthood. Paul said in Ephesians 3, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me. Because of God's grace, we're to serve one another. Embrace servanthood. Embrace it. Don't run from it. Don't say, well, I've got rights. They should be serving me. Embrace it. That's the next thing I want to say here. Speaking of rights, we need to exhibit the same attitude as Christ. Exhibit the same attitude as Christ. What's that attitude? Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Some translations say, let this mind be in you. I like this. Let this attitude be in you. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What's the attitude? 
That's the attitude that says, I will humbly lay my life down for another person. I will give, I will yield, I will set aside my rights as Jesus did and serve others. Robert Roberts writes about a fourth grade class where the teacher introduced a game called the balloon stomp. And each child had a string tied to their ankle and a, a, about a foot of string and then a balloon inflated. And the teacher said, here's the object of the game. If you're to stomp on all those balloons, the student standing with his balloon not stomped wins the game. Go. So these nine-year-olds took off going to town and within a matter of seconds, all the balloons were popped. Robert says the battle was over in seconds. That's the way he called it. The battle was over. And that one student said, I won. Then another period of students come, another class comes in, and except this class had developmentally challenged students. And the teacher gave the same instructions. We're going to play the balloon stomp, and here's the goal. You, you try to stomp everybody else's balloon until it's all done, and then the one standing wins. And somehow all they heard was the object of the game is to stomp all the balloons. So they started stomping balloons together helping each other. Oh, they thought, we got to get these balloons stomped. One little girl held her balloon out for a little boy to sit on it to pop it. And then when that was done, they switched, and, and he held hers, and they popped it. So it went that way till all the balloons were popped. They helped each other. Robert says they formed a balloon stomp co-op. And then he finishes writing about this, and he says, who got the game right? And who got it wrong? I, I am afraid that in our churches sometimes, we're all about preserving our balloon while we stomp on the other person's. You know, maybe we're not stomping. Maybe we're just preserving. I think I know who got that game right. Let this same attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus who humbled himself. Number four, Another responsibility, another expectation of church members. We're to intercede for our church leaders. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2, or yeah, 2. First of all, I urge you that petitions, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings, and all those who are in authority, so that they may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Those in authority in your local church, those pastors and staff members and leadership team, the Bible says pray for those leaders. H.B. London put out a book years ago stating some statistics about pastors, and it was called Pastors at Risk was the name of the book. I'm sure these statistics are off the chart now, but when he wrote that, these are just some numbers that reflect what's going on in the ministry today. 80% of pastors say that the ministry has negatively affected their family. 33% say that ministry has outright become a hazard to their family. 75% reported a significant stress-related crisis in their ministry. 40% say they have a serious conflict with a church member, some church member at least once a month. 70% say they don't have someone they consider a close friend. That just gives you a snippet of how challenging it is to be in spiritual leadership today. Take that survey and apply it across the board to all those in ministry leadership, you need to be praying for us. It's an expectation. Don Maxwell, in his book, Partners in Prayer, lists some things. He says, here's some ways to pray for your pastors. And I'd say, here's some ways to pray for your leadership 
in this church. Pray that they would know God's will. Pray that they would do God's will. Pray that they would be fruitful. Pray that they would have a growing relationship with God, that they would know God's power in their lives. Pray that they'd have a right attitude. Pray those things for us. We have church family that prays. Men meet with me every Sunday morning. We pray together. We pray for you. We pray over this uh, worship center. And then the guys lay hands on me and pray for me. We have people who meet during the week. A group of ladies meet and pray for this church staff and our ministry leadership team and our families. My son pulled in the parking lot this week and the ladies were leaving their prayer times. This week or last week? The ladies were leaving their prayer time and they said, Cameron, we've been praying for you. I like the way the dots get connected sometimes. We have people who pray for me my family, our staff, our leadership team, and their families every week and every week. We have people who are praying right now. They might be praying, help him finish on time. I don't know. We have people who meet in a room every Sunday morning and pray for this worship service. They pray for their spiritual leadership. That's expected of you. Number five, we expect you to model healthy family relationships, that you would model healthy family relationships. Two things I'll say about this. My family is a picture of the church. My family is a picture of the church. Your family is a picture of the church. I want you to listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And this is Paul's teaching on husband and wife, husband and wife relationships, but I want you to see how often he refers to the church here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides for it and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Now, Paul is teaching about the family, but he's saying here, the family pictures the church, the church pictures the family. Live that out. Understanding the submission and the honor and the prayer and the support and the encouragement that a family is to have. It's a picture of the church. It reminds us that the church is a family, just like we have a family. A lot of people enter into marriage and they see it as a, just a contract, a romance. A, if things don't go well, I'll bail on this instead of a covenant. When we marry someone, we talk about a covenant. You're making a covenant for life. Do you know why a lot of people end their marriages? Now, I know circumstances happen and, and, and marriages end where you don't want them to end. But a lot of folks enter into marriage thinking, I can always get out. I can always find another one. They, we talk about this when we marry somebody, that they, that they think they're marrying the ideal and it becomes an ordeal and they, so they, uh, they start looking for a new deal. Get a way out. Do you know that some people join a church that way? Did I say that right? Okay. Some people join a church that way. You know, I'll, I'll come and I'll sit and I'll listen. If everything goes the way I think it ought to go, I'm on board. But if something doesn't go right, I'm out of here. I'm gone, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out, I'm gonna cut and run. The picture of the family commitment is we're family. We stay together. I may not like Uncle Joe or Aunt Jane, but we're family. We might rub each other wrong, but we're family. 
church is a family. Second truth about that is my family is to make church a priority. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I could park here for an hour. Fathers, lead your family to worship. Don't just drop your kids off. Don't just send them. You be the one who takes the lead. You be the one who's a spiritual leader in the home. God's called you to do that. Model that family relationship. Last thing I want to say. This last expectation of church membership. Cherish the gift of membership. Cherish the gift of membership. Don't take it for granted. Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul writes, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works so that no one should boast. You're saved by grace. When you're saved, you become a member of the family of God, the body of Christ, and hopefully eventually a member of a local body of Christ by grace. Do you know why you're here? If you're a member of Coastal Oaks Church, it's not because you're special. It's not because of anything you've done, anything you've accomplished, any title you have, any, any level of spirituality you've reached. You're here by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Cherish that. Cherish it as a, as a gift, not something you want to bail on if it doesn't go your way. And I promise you, I hate to do this, but I'm going to promise you, it won't always go your way. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to do something wrong as a pastor. I'm going to let you down. Mark it down. It's going to happen if it hadn't already. I'm glad nobody amened there. That would be pretty bad. The spiritual leadership of this church, the staff, the ministry team leaders, they're going to let you down. It's not always going to be the way you want it. But this is a gift we've been given. Cherish it. It's by grace. Robert Fulgham writes and tells a story about one of those daddy mistakes. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? When you miss it? He was getting ready to go to work one day, and his daughter gave him a paper bag. said, take this to work with you, Dad. And he kind of rattled it and found it was full of stuff. And he says, what's in the bag? She says, just some stuff. Take it with you. So he takes the bag to work with him and didn't pay any attention to it until it got break time, lunchtime. And he gets out that paper bag and opens it up, and it's full of stuff. And he dumps it out on his desk, takes an inventory, two ribbons, three stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, some used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. And he looked at it and he thought, how cute. He just collects stuff and, and he just sort of shoved it off his desk, off into the wastebasket there. And he went home at the end of the day and his, wife, and his, his daughter says, Daddy, where's the sack I gave you? And he says, wisely, it's still at the office. He didn't say where at the office. He just said it's still at the office. I left it there. Why, Daddy? Those things in the sack are mine. He raced back to the office. This is what he writes. Molly had given me her treasures, all that a seven-year-old held dear, love in a paper sack. And I missed it. Not just missed it, I had thrown it away. Nothing in there I needed. It wasn't the first or the last time that I felt like my daddy permit had to run out, it was about to run out. He said, I went back to my office, I dumped all the waste baskets out on my desk, 
The janitor came in and asked, did you lose something? Yeah, my mind. It's probably in there. When he found the bag, he got it, uncrumpled it, got all the pieces, made sure he had two ribbons, three stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, some used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. He took the bag home and he sat down with Molly and he asked her to tell him the story of every treasure in that bag. Folks, there are hundreds, thousands of stories of the treasures in our lives. We need to cherish that. See, the church is not just a building. It's not just an organization. It's a family. It's relationships. Cherish it. Cherish it. Let's don't miss it, okay? That's what's required of us. Pray with me.